You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. This edition of It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, your partner for global wealth creation. Welcome to It's My Money. It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, and Brenthurst Wealth has been voted South Africa's top boutique wealth manager. Today I'm speaking to Aaron Ruttenberg, who's speaking to us from Brenthurst Wealth's office in Santon. And the piece he sent me says the following. Tips for finding financial peace. That's the headline. Here's the first paragraph, so indulge me, please. Occasional financial stress is common, but if financial worries are interfering with your sleep or your daily life, you may be experiencing financial anxiety. Financial anxiety impacts individuals of all ages and income brackets. Constant worry about money, debt, job security and the future can significantly impact your mental, emotional and even physical well-being, which is why it's important to take steps to improve your financial confidence and lower your anxiety. And there's some tips coming up. Aaron, you've got to be now the sort of a financial guru in a meditation session here because we've got to meditate here and find financial peace and a psychologist at the same time what made you write this piece ah lindsay and how to your listeners that's a good question actually i thought you know i'm so often speaking about what's happening in the markets and i show my clients as well as yourself like you know my absolute love of the game in terms of the markets and understanding asset allocation and diversification and what's happened but i also need to play the role of being that psychologist because you know clients and their money they come to myself and I understand their family dynamics, if they have a family or not, um, their personal lives, and their anxieties. And at the end of the day, being a financial planner it comes with behavioral finance aspects. And, you know, a client or any investor, for that matters, um, the, the way that they are going to achieve financial success is through their own behavior. Um, sometimes, you know, for example, you know, they might be able to invest for a long period of time, but you need to keep them invested and make sure that they understand how they invested, what they invested in, and the plan. And sometimes a client can become, or any investor can become their own worst enemy by switching or by selling out at the wrong time. And that can be caused by behavioral finance. And one of those topics within behavioral finance um, is, besides for the biases, is anxiety. Yeah, exactly. And tip number one is a very interesting one, because it's the most simple of them all, I think. You say the first step in dealing with financial anxiety is to identify the cause of your stress, understand your stressors, as you put it in in, in the headline. So you've got to say, why am I so anxious? Is it because I keep on watching TV and listening to podcasts and listening to the radio and hearing about all the rubbish that's going on in the world? Is that it? Or is it because I don't have a plan? Is that to you the most important thing? Sit down and be honest with yourself and say, why am I stressed? 100%. I think listening to podcasts, just by the way, um, mainly is much better than listening to just the TV and mainstream media. So podcasts like yourselves, which is great. Mm. But you know, perhaps you're anxious about you know day-to-day financial issues, such as somebody could have excessive debt or insufficient savings to cover an emergency or large a large upcoming expense, such as a child's wedding or or, or for a car. Um, and they've been putting their money in the wrong places. In, in the back of their minds, they're they're worried about certain things. Um, so you may be worried about bigger picture items, even such as retirement or college savings for your children, or even your investment performance, which is why I spoke about behavior a second ago. 
once you identify that particular trigger, then you can start to anticipate when anxiety will strike and you can take specific steps to address those issues, which will then stop those triggers. Good. Okay. So identification is the first thing. Get to the root of the problem. Tip number two, you say, is develop a financial plan. One of the best ways, you say, of overcoming financial anxiety is by establishing and following, that's very key, a key phrase there, and following a comprehensive financial plan because it puts you in control of your finances. Now, it's, it's like going to the gym, Aaron. You know, you see this nice new gym just opened up in your neighborhood and you say, Actually, you know, that looks pretty good. And you go along and you sign up. Uh, so you've, you've, you've done the first thing um, by establishing a fitness plan. But then following the fitness plan is the, it's the, most, is the most difficult part of the process that I've just described. And probably developing a financial plan is the same if you don't have the discipline. And the discipline, I think, comes from people like you. It's a very good point you've raised there about um, going to gym. I was going to use an example of, you know, moving well, or driving from one place to another, like long distance driving. You want to plan the route because there can be a few routes and you might want to miss a specific section and go another direction because there's less traffic. And if you can just, you know, for myself, who's not the biggest fan of driving long distances without exactly knowing where I'm going, oh, yeah. if I do have that map rooted out, I promise you I'm a different person from an anxious point of view. And when you go to the gym, I've mentioned this to you before, you know, you'll go to the gym one day, you'll come home, you'll look in the mirror, especially if you're new to it, and you'll see nothing. And you'll go the next day, <laughs> and you'll come back, you'll look in the mirror, and you'll see nothing. Because it's actually consistency over time that really matters. And when you, when you stick to the plan, and you're told that, look, this is the plan, and you're sticking to the plan, or you're sticking to the map, it actually, you know, creates a, a major factor that will impact your financial life. And enable you to prepare and handle whatever the future may have in store. So ultimately, a financial plan can help ease financial anxiety by allowing you to feel more secure in your financial future. Very good. Tip number three, manage your debt. Excessive debt, you go on to say, can quickly spiral out of control, leading to significant anxiety. Fortunately, with focus and determination, it's possible to tackle your debt. Two effective strategies include and these are your strategies number one is the snowball method number two is the avalanche method now i've never heard that before tell me about the snowball first of all please aaron so we often hear about people talking about debt and how to manage debt and oh, i've got this lump sum or this inheritance how much should i put to invest or how much should i put to debt and how how to effectively create a nice financial plan one of them is debt and we spoke we speak about managing debt and paying the higher interest rate first but there's two methods of this, which I like to call one is the snowball method and one is the avalanche method. So the snowball method is involves paying your smallest debt first and as quickly as possible, then moving on to the next smallest debt. What's beneficial about this is it can help you gain a sense of accomplishment as you move you know, from one loan to the other. Even though it's a small loan, it, you know, it's like making your bed in the morning. You feel accomplished and you move to the next task and you tick it off. Hmm. It might not be the cheapest way. But it, that sense of accomplishment gives confidence, and it's still paying off debt. That's the snowball method. The avalanche method. Just before you go on to the avalanche debt. method, if you sorry to interrupt you, uh, Aaron, uh, mm. you talk about the smallest debt, but also wouldn't you have a look at the most expensive debt 
to start with as well, to say, right, this is costing me the most, whether it be a credit card or a debit card or, uh, I don't know, whatever cards that, that people have. That also must be a factor, not just the smallest, but the most expensive must go first, surely. That's the avalanche method, actually. Oh, I so see. The okay. method, so the avalanche method actually is paying off the debt with the highest interest first, uh-huh. which is why the snowball one is is not the cheapest because it's more about a sense of accomplishment than anything else to give you confidence. So you're paying the smallest debt off first. With the avalanche, it's more about what you said, paying off the largest debt first or the debt with the highest interest rate. So once that's paid off, you move on to the loan with the next highest interest rate until all your loans are paid off because credit card debt is generally the highest interest rate and would be the most prudent to pay off. Whereas other types of debt, such as housing debt, can be used to your advantage depending on how you're utilizing it. It could be an investment property that you're putting those rentals into. But that would be the most prudent way is paying off, in my view, the most highest interest first, which is a credit card, then moving on to the car, which depreciates in value, and then the house, which is supposed to appreciate in value. Now, it depends where you live in the world. If you live in Johannesburg, well, your house isn't appreciating. That's a whole different story for the property segment of this discussion um, next time. But the whole point is paying that highest interest or first is the avalanche method. Right. Tip number four. I think a combination of snowballs and avalanches is quite a good idea, but uh, both points very, very well made. Uh, Tip number four, create a budget. Budgeting is a powerful tool that can help you take charge of your finances and feel more confident about your spending and saving habits. So you say to yourself, I earn this amount of money every month. These are my fixed expenditures. This is what I need. Shelter, uh, food, clothing, all that sort of thing. I've got to pay for my utilities. That is part of your budget. And the rest of the budget, you say to yourself, okay, let's prioritize. I would have thought that is also quite soothing when it comes to financial anxiety. You say, okay, that's out the way. I have to pay that and I will pay that. And afterwards, then you sort of divvy it up. You slice it up into nice little segments. 100%. I don't like to spend too much time on the budget side because I think it's been overspoken about even on your show, but you know, it needs to be spoken about it occasionally because it's not, it's almost like that grudge purchase, you know, people, people's grudge purchase in financial planning is generally insurance, but people's grudge action is generally making their budget, but it makes a huge difference to, to you. And with anxiety, which is the whole topic, it's helpful for you to view your budget in terms of your priorities and values. What's most important to you? Spending time with family or pursuing your hobby? So you save or saving for a down payment on a home. If you focus on achieving what's most important to you, you can help ease your anxiety by allowing you to you know, live more of a purposeful life. So if you track your spending for 30 days, get an understanding where your money goes. Then make a list of all the debts, including their outstanding balances as well as the interest rates. Then make a list of your assets, including emergency savings, investment accounts, checking accounts, retirement as well accounts and then make a list of your long and short-term goals and then determine whether you're making progress towards achieving them you know how much money would you like to achieve by the age of 35 it doesn't have to be 65 even it can be a little bit sooner because those shorter little time goals will therefore give you that confidence and 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 reduce the anxiety so i'm not going to go how to create the budget that's just more of a step that i included on on a couple of tips as many apps and whatnot that can track your spending but i wanted to really focus on the the anxiety side of things and therefore give those little short goals where you can see things and really see where you, where you are and how far you are from the next goal. And then 
the next goal and to the to the bigger picture and rather spending time doing the things that you value the most and therefore will reduce anxiety the best. One of the um, first points that you made in tip number four is, you know, just track your 30-day spending. I have to tell you that if I took a notebook out and every time I bought something, whether it be online, whether it be at the local shop or at the local bar or at a restaurant or something, if I wrote everything down and I looked at the end of the month, I'd be terrified. And I would, I would, I, That's exactly- I would, I would be shocked. But you need to be shocked into admission <laughs> because when you see the rubbish that you spend money on, it's extraordinary, Aaron. Exactly. And then you can say to yourself, well, if I cut this, this, and this out, yes. let's say you're, you know, everybody's different. So if you cut certain things out, you perhaps can feel better about the fact that, okay, I can cut these three things out and put this towards my tax-free investment, for example, because I can. Oh, that gives you that confidence. But you have to write it down. And I do it twice a year only for myself. I don't love doing it either, but it makes a massive difference. And it's helped me tremendously just doing it twice a year. Good. Well done. Keep it up. Tip number five, build up your short-term savings. Why? Short-term savings is very important because if you're investing for certain time periods, you've got your retirement investing, you've your general discretionary investing, which is also probably used towards retirement. You don't want to touch those. Those are long-term wealth creation builders. So your anxiety stems, for example, from the fear of unexpected. It may be time then to focus on building that source of emergency savings. So the common wisdom advises us at least three to six months of living expenses saved in a short-term liquid emergency fund. I like slightly more than six months. I'm a bigger advocate for a larger emergency fund in my own life. Um, but, you know, some people tend to save a little bit less or a little bit more. You need to figure out what works for you. But if you're worried about market volatility, which is the point I'm making, or significant emergency expenses, you know, it may make sense to to at least have some sort of big cash saving so that you have that in the back of your mind that, okay, if there's something that happens, I've got money in a nice, liquid, high-yielding savings fund, like an income fund yeah. or a bond fund, because a bond fund will have bonds, an income fund will have a little bit of preference shares, it will have mostly bonds and some cash. And in the back of your mind, it's growing higher than inflation, but if anything unexpected happens, you don't have to touch any equity in your portfolio, and you, in the back of your mind, have less anxiety because of that. Yeah, you can take out, uh, once you've done your 30-day, what did I spend this month exercise, you take out all the rubbish and start saving. And therefore, you've got that um, emergency fund, because that's what it is, an emergency fund. We don't know what's going to go on tomorrow. We don't know what's going to go on in in six months' time or a year's time. So just keep building it up. So if something does happen, then at least you've got the peace of mind that you've got something there as a buffer. Okay, this is one that yes. uh, I, I don't like thinking about because I, I'm, a, I'm an ostrich when it comes to this sort of thing. Tip number six, establish an estate plan. And you start with the following, the will. I mean, when I think of, of making my will, I think I'm almost condemning myself to death, but you have to do it, of course. Yes, of course. If anxiety is built because of, a person worrying about what would happen to their loved ones should they die unexpectedly, you know, it would be a good time to establish or update your estate plan. You should have an estate plan. You should have a will, and it needs to be updated at least once a year. 
you could be single and you could get married and you could have children. So you shouldn't leave that to too many years. And an estate plan can help ensure assets that are passed along. Well, they can ensure that assets are passed along according to your wishes. And it can also detail who will care for your children should something unexpectedly happen to you and your spouse and they minors. So a will is the main estate planning document everybody should have in place. Not only does it distribute assets according to the person's wishes, but it can also help minimize estate taxes and legal challenges to your estate, which is another topic and important for a financial planner to go through with a client. And then you've got your guardianship designations. If you have children and um, you want to know that you know they're taken care of by the correct person that you'd like to, otherwise a court is going to give custody to a family member that you perhaps wouldn't have chosen. So you don't want to have that in the back of your mind when you're sleeping at night. Your children are important to you. And then lastly, um, I mentioned like a living trust or a trust, um, which can be established local or offshore. We do quite a, a number of offshore trusts as well. So it depends on the size of your estate and can be an effective way to avoid estate taxes as well, which can be an expensive and time-consuming process. So a trust can also provide significant tax savings for your heirs. But again, it's not suitable for everybody. A will is the most important of all. Yeah, but also durable power of attorney, which is your last point in point number six. A power of attorney is a legal document that designates an individual to act on your behalf. You've got to trust this person. You've got to trust this person to uh, act responsibly and not say, right, I've got power of attorney. I can uh, ravage uh, his or her savings and estate uh, because this person is, as you say, incapacitated or perhaps even dead. But anyway, um, how important is that? It's important. I mean, you know, we often get requests from clients to draft powers of attorneys and, you know, there's many questions. But I've got a client and I can only speak for a, for, for an example of one of my clients whose, whose, whose father is not well and, you know, there's a bit of dementia or Alzheimer's and their son is helping and is the power of attorney and that's the most important part because the son now is taking care of the father and make sure that everything is done in accordance with the father's needs so if you immediately have something and that's just an example that you're you know could potentially be incapacitated from a, a mental point of view you need to act on that immediately it's only when something like that happens because you can really have your estate managed by somebody that does not have your best wishes at heart and not having your best wishes at heart means, you know, obviously you, you could have your whole estate liquidated before um, those medical expenses start to rise even further. Tip number seven, ensure you're properly insured. Now, we don't have to go into this too much, but what is the most important insurance and go down the list? There's probably uh, three or four different types of insurance that you should have in your portfolio and as part of your monthly expenditure uh, list them, if you would, please, Aaron. So as more of an investment expert, I always tell clients that they need to have insurance because, for example, should they lose their job or lose their ability to bring in an income, income protection insurance would be a, a very important type of insurance. If they've got loved ones, life insurance would be very important because should they die or should something happen and they were the breadwinner, their children or spouses are taken care of, or spouse, should I say, is taken care of. And, you know, there's health insurance, you know, in, in South Africa especially, we need to have health insurance because the government can't provide enough um, quality health care to, to the country. So those types of insurance are important. And then you've got your disability insurance if you get disabled. And how are you going to fix up your house if you're in a wheelchair or if you need to drive somewhere? You might have un, 
necessary expense that you wouldn't have had, but they've now become necessary because you're disabled. So those types of insurance are important in protecting from the protection of income to your health to being sick. Very, very important. And they are a grudge purchase, but you don't want that to happen to you. And if something does happen to you, and that is you know, not something we like to think about, you covered. Good. And finally, the obvious one, work with a qualified financial advisor. And people shouldn't say, oh, well, why should I pay someone? I've just listened to that podcast. And I can do that all myself. Nonsense. You can't do it all yourself. You need someone to nag you. You need someone to give you qualified advice. You need someone to uh, alert you to new rules and regulations when it comes to tax and insurance and, and that sort of thing. So do work with it. Pay some money to a qualified financial advisor. And I'm not giving you a punt here. It's just common sense, Aaron. Of course, not everybody even needs one. Some people are advisors that can do it themselves. But even some people that are advisors do need to speak to somebody. It's like going to a psychologist. You know, you, you think that you can handle every aspect of your life, but speaking to somebody can help. An advisor's advisor, call it a psychologist can go to a psychologist, just like an advisor can go to an advisor and just, you know, have that objective point of view. Somebody who doesn't know you well and learns to understand all your biases, all your triggers, things that worry you and put you in the right mental space. Because, again, mental space is the key word. You are your own worst enemy when it comes to investing. And not everybody understands asset allocation, which we haven't covered, diversification, which we haven't covered. This is the tip of the iceberg, and we're only speaking about financial anxiety. We haven't gone into detail on all of these topics completely. So when you're creating something and understanding regulations, as you mentioned, like the Regulation 28 now allows 45% offshore exposure in retirement annuities. We want to up that for most clients. Some clients, it, they might not be able to maximize it depending on their specific risk profile and their income needs. Understanding how to match offshore with an income need, it's a science. It's not just let's invest in X, Y, or Z fund. It's understanding that asset allocation and then working with somebody who can really prepare you mentally to keep you on that journey. It's interesting you mentioned the psychologist angle because I have a friend in London uh, a very, very high profile and very accomplished psychologist. And she has to uh, be analysed herself by an independent psychologist twice a week for 15 minutes each time to make sure that she is also uh, fit to be a psychologist. So maybe the same should be the, the case for financial advisors as well. I don't think it'll happen, uh, but it's a very good point that you make. And you made so many very good points good. in this podcast, Aaron. It was really good stuff. Thank you. Aaron Ruttenberg is from Brentos Wealth based in Santon. And that was It's My Money. It's My Money was brought to you by Brentos Wealth, an award-winning boutique wealth management company.